0: Calling all ninjas. Calling all ninjas. It's time for Lime
1: Ninja Radio.
2: Hello Lime Ninjas. This is Lime Ninja Radio where we help you navigate confidently through your own personal Lime journey. Everybody's journey is different, and a cookie-cutter approach just won't work for Lyme disease. You need ninja skills. I'm your host and acupuncturist, McKay Rippey, and this is episode number 121 with UK Lyme Ninja, Chantel Lewis. Also with us in the studio is our certified show producer and the brains behind Lyme Ninja Radio, Aurora. Aurora.
1: Hello, and in this episode you will learn how Chantelle found support from the Lyme Disease UK discussion Facebook group, how finding medical help outside the UK National Health Service, and about Chantelle's crazy one-woman Lyme drama.
2: Yes indeed, this is the beginning of our reverse British invasion, well, British and Irish invasion, and We're going to feature interviews with folks and practitioners from the UK and Ireland over the next four episodes. I was going through the stats and we're heavily skewed, ridiculously heavily skewed toward the US and there's Lyme disease all over the world. So we're going to push to try to increase our listenership. This is such a great resource. We get such great fan emails from folks and we think this podcast can help people outside the U.S. So we're going to make a push into the U.K. and to Ireland, and then we'll try to push into Canada and Australia, basically the the English-speaking countries where we know that there's plenty of Lyme disease. So for example, I was looking at the stats last week, Aurora, and we had about 5,000 downloads total, and in Ireland, there were six. There were
1: six.
2: Yes. And you keep seeing...
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, and you keep seeing. Well, in my in my trawling of Google of the Google News, you keep seeing. We keep seeing uh, Irish uh, newsletters talking about uh, warnings for Lyme disease as well. So,
2: absolutely, there one estimate. Is- one nonprofit mm-hmm. estimate in the UK itself think there's there's forty some thousand cases of Lyme disease there every year. So we know that there's Lyme disease out there. We just haven't made our way there. So we figured by featuring guests from that part of the world that maybe we'd get some of their friends and family to listen. So I think at least in the case of Ireland, we can double to 12 people. What do you think?
1: Exactly. I think so
2: All right, I just want to give also a shout out to those of you participating in the Keto Challenge Keep going, keep sending your feedback to us We really appreciate it to let us know how it's working or not working for you I think that's important Also on our website, you can subscribe to Lime Ninja Radio We have three levels, the ninja level, sensei level, and the daimo level Is that how you pronounce it? No, it's daimyo. Daimyo. Daimyo level. Yeah. And if you don't know what those are, Google it. <laughs> no, I won't make you do that. So we know what a ninja is. A sensei means essentially teacher in Japanese, correct? Yep. And daim- daimyo means the Lord. So if you subscribe <laughs> at the daimyo level, that might mean that you own me. I'm not so sure. Anyway, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> We're also giving away Lori Dennis's book. What's what? Are you cackling in the background there? A little bit. A little bit, yeah. A lot. We're also giving away Lori Dennis's book. It finally got published this week. Woohoo! And her book is Lyme Madness, and that was inspired by the frustration of trying to get her son help in what turned out to be Lyme disease. So she, she documents Lyme disease and kind of her struggles going through diagnosis and what helped her son finally get things turned around there.
1: Yeah. Also, I want to say thank you to James and Joanne to subscribing to Lime Ninja Radio. We really appreciate it. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much. I didn't check to see what levels they subscribed at. So James or Joanne, if you own me, just send me an email and uh, (laughs) we'll try to work out my tribute to you. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Aurora, before we get too silly here, tell us more about today's guest All the way from the U.K., Chantel Lewis.
1: Chantel was working a dream job on a private cruise ship in the Caribbean when she was bitten by a tick. The ensuing journey through the National Health Service and traveling to the U.S. for treatment, she calls her one-woman drama. Chantel is now living with her parents in Cornwall, recovering and pouring her energy into helping others by participating in the Lyme Disease U.K. advocacy group.
2: Thanks, Aurora, and here's my interview with Chantel Lewis. Hello, Chantel. It's McKay Rippey from Lime Ninja Radio.
1: Hello, how are you?
2: Quite well. So, where where are you in the UK, more or less?
0: So, I'm currently um, actually at my parents in Cornwall, um, which is the southwest of England, um, by the ocean, which is lovely. Um, but prior to that, I've been living in in London. But um, yeah, kind of toing and froing just due to the support I've needed from my family, really, um, both obviously financially, physically, um, whilst whilst getting treated. So yeah, I'm, I'm everywhere, always.
2: <laughs> it's a common story. So many people have to move back in with parents or supportive friends just to make a go of it.
0: Yeah, and it feels um, it's really hard because. there's a part of you that feels like you're kind of failing because at a certain age you think you're going to be at a certain point in your career you know or maybe have a family um and just have that independence which I suppose a lot of people work towards their whole life um whether in in a career or you know just just life in general um and I had to realize that you know it's not quite gone to my five-year plan but you know I it's not my fault and I'm not being lazy, like I'm healing, but it's hard if you're one of those sort of type A personalities, which just wants to achieve and kind of play your part in society really and, and do the best you can. But, um, but yeah, I, at the same time, you know, how lucky am I to have family that I can come to, um, and that they're supporting me. So yeah, it's, um, it's not all bad. <laughs> I'm very grateful at the same time.
2: Yes, tomorrow is Thanksgiving in the US and It is. And it's supposed to be a time of gratitude and reflecting back on the year and sure. what we're grateful for. It, it often becomes just an excuse to eat a lot of food and watch a lot of football.
0: <laughs> oh, no, it's um well, hasn't that happened with most holidays now? They've all probably <laughs> a bit commercialized, but at least it reminds us that, you know, sometimes we have to step back and, and say thank you because it's so easy to take things for granted and people. Um, especially when, you know, in life in general, even when you're not sick, it's just crazy busy and we get preoccupied with, you know, lives, families. And yeah, sometimes you think, wow, like without those people, you know, what, what would I have done if for whatever circumstances, you know, like not just someone with Lyme disease, just for whatever they might be going through. So,
2: yeah. Now, where do you know where you were bit? Where you contracted Lyme?
0: I can only kind of, um, estimate, but for me, like it feels like a non-brainer because I was in the Caribbean at the time. Um, so I was working on board a private super yacht, but obviously we were able to go on land um when guests weren't on board so I would go running um, I was very active you know I'd like to explore um, and I think that's where I was bitten because that's when I had uh, an acute sort of seven to ten days of what felt like the worst flu I could have imagined Um everything from sort of tremors in my hands bad drenching sweats day and night um a fever a really really increased like headache and pressure in my head to the point where I didn't really feel like I could lift my head off the pillow um I couldn't eat I just felt like I slept for a week literally um the kind of sore throat lymph nodes glands kind of up and yeah just just really ill um of course, nothing twigged to me. Oh, you could have been bitten by a tick. I'd never even heard of Lyme disease. I had no idea that that could even be a possibility. Um, so I kind of just rode out that period of acute illness because as I kind of started to get ill, we were actually leaving land for a three week Atlantic crossing back to Europe uh, because the Caribbean season had just ended. So, I wasn't really in the position to go to a hospital or a doctor's. We obviously have onboard medical, but you know, it's limited. And there was also no knowledge of Lyme disease amongst you know the crew um, or anything. So, yeah, it was kind of a process of wading out the illness, really. Um, what did
2: you think you had initially? Just the flu?
0: Yeah, I, I don't think I thought anything more than I've had a season where I've probably overworked, you know. Yeah, yeah. Exercise and party like everybody else when it was my time off. And and maybe this was just my body saying, whoa, you need a break. Um, And now's the time where you just need to take it easy. And it, I thought it could literally just be as simple as that, you know, almost like burning the candle at both ends <laughs> type of thing. Um, But it wasn't until... That acute period kind of went, but I never felt the same since. Uh, whether that was sort of started with the fatigue, um, but as time went on, symptoms developed and other things in my body kind of started, uh, you know, flagging warning signs that I realised that something was going on. But at the same time, I still didn't even really make the connection to that, that period of illness as to it being the start of it, maybe.
2: So how long after that episode were you diagnosed, or have you been diagnosed?
0: So I have been diagnosed. Um, it took about 14 months after that initial um, period of illness, which over time – I was unable to fill my, fulfill my work duties. Um, you know, socially I had become like a shadow of my former self. I couldn't exercise. I didn't want to go out. I didn't have the energy. I just wanted to sleep all the time, even like a 10 minute break in the day, you know, like an afternoon break when you go and have a cup of tea. I'd be like, I'd run to my cabin and literally go to sleep for 10 minutes. I'd be that desperate to sleep whenever I could. Um, and then the following 14 months literally began. Like a period of getting more and more sick, having to quit work, having to leave the boat, spending every other week in hospital for the night or a few days or a few weeks, investigations, tests, but no diagnosis. Um, It got to the point where the UK actually said to me, we don't think there is anything else we can do for you. Um, We don't know What's wrong with you? Um, so the best thing we can suggest is that you sort of crack on and go back to work sort of thing, you know, be positive and you'll be fine. Um, so basically, I kind of felt like they were saying that all of this was a bit psychosomatic. Like it was a more of a mental barrier that I was maybe putting up, um, whereas my life was going just fine. Like I had no reason to be down or want to be sick, or even pretend to be sick. Do you know what I mean? Like I think they in they kept trying to say to me like this was a decision that I'd made, where I was like, Well, clearly not. Um so in the end, when I was told that there was kind of nothing else they could do for me, I couldn't accept that. You know, I was a dancer, I was physically fit, I I would exercise a lot. Um, I was known on board as the girl who never kind of ran out of energy. Like I could just go and if you know that that's the person that you were and all of a sudden it's changed, like you know that that doesn't happen for no reason, like you know, your own body. Um, So then began a way of finding out what it was because a lot of things had been eliminated through tests. um, You know, whether it was just blood or kind of MRIs, some more sort of invasive tests under anesthetic um, and I discovered, I had a feeling it could be Lyme disease.
2: Well, well, let's pause there for a second because I have an intermediate question. Mm. Did you get any false diagnoses or did the health service just say, you know, we're not sure what this is?
0: So they kept saying that the likelihood of it being Lyme was just almost rare to impossible, that it doesn't exist in this country, that it's far down on the bottom of their list. And it was almost a diagnosis that they couldn't even consider. So you but, began
2: to ask them, say, could this be Lyme disease? Were you saying that at some point to them? Yeah, because yeah, it yeah. came to
0: the point where, th- through my own research, you know, when other serious illnesses had been eliminated, you know, various cancers and autoimmune diseases, which I mean, even at one point they told me that I had cancer and then they told me I didn't. Um, it's ridiculous. um I realized that, well, you know, through my own research, that this Lyme disease is cropping up again and again. And the amount of kind of symptoms I had the severity the changes in them the just the fact that there was so much going on in my body I couldn't really equate any other illness to it I just thought it's too it's too like it should be that like just when you see it on paper I was just thinking I literally feel like that is exactly what I must have but obviously I know I couldn't be sure so I had a test done in the UK um they agreed in the end to test me. And in the UK, we have two, a two-tier testing. So the first part is called the ELISA test. And if that comes back positive, they'll continue to the second part, which is the Western blot. Um,
2: yes, you have us to thank for that. <laughs> good. The CDC. <laughs> the CDC. It's our fault. <laughs> um, the- so that's the standard of care over here as well.
0: Ah, okay. So the first part of the test here, um, I mean, it's, they say it's less than 50% accurate. You know, the, the research has been done to it, not, not that the NHS would, would agree to that fact or.
2: Statement. I was at a Lyme conference in New York City at Sinai medical school and a researcher who was moving into the Lyme world to develop a uh, new testing and there are several groups working on this. So this is really good news, but yeah. he stood up there and scientists. In their talks are very kind of uh, non, what do I want to say, non-confrontive, and and they insult each other in very sneaky yeah. ways, right? So he gets out there and says, you know, I was in the AIDS uh, research community, and we we've moved over to taking a look at Lyme disease to develop a test, and frankly, we were quite surprised that you're using the technology, the testing technology that you are.
1: Yeah. And
2: that it's, it's essentially 40 year old technology and we've abandoned this in the HIV world years ago. Mm. Um, And it's quite scary. It's brutal. The testing is just awful, awful, awful. And the CDC acknowledges it's not supposed to be a diagnostic test. It's supposed to be a tracking test so we can tell where this disease is being disseminated. And yet the physicians punt. You know, yeah. because they don't have any other way, they they really haven't been trained, and they don't feel comfortable. They'll will just run the test,
0: and they'll rather just deny that there could be a problem of Lyme disease, right? It, well, we get that. We get we get that here.
2: Yeah, we even get that here. And I'm in New York State, and there's tons of Lyme disease around. So one of the things I've started doing uh, t- to break through the bubble of denial is is you get mm-hmm. the statistics on the the dogs who've been diagnosed. So the yeah. the testing for the dogs is quite accurate and quite quick, and they've got good numbers for that. And they're through the roof in this community. And then you look at the number of human diagnoses, and it's just a handful. And you just, you just hold up the numbers and let the people do the math in their head.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure no, it out.
2: No, it's like, okay, we've got several tens of thousand over here, and we've got 37 over here. Hmm.
0: And it, it's crazy because, you know, I'm not a statistic in this country because they won't accept my test results. And so I just think, you know, there's no accuracy. Like y- they're still telling me it's rare that I can't possibly have it. And oh, so what, what how, so
2: idea. how did you finally? So the test came back negative. I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. yeah.
0: And on the bottom of that test, it did actually say, you know, it, should the patient still be demonstrating kind of, uh, physical signs? you know, there could be more tests that we could look into or, um, you know, it would be possible that you'd need a clinical sort of diagnosis, but they just weren't, they weren't happy to even go down that route. They just told me there was no way I can have Lyme in this instance and, you know, case closed, underlying full stop sort of thing. So again, I couldn't accept it because I don't know if it was a gut feeling or just the fact that, you know, there is something wrong with me and I don't feel like the only thing you haven't tested me for right now you know, is this. They tested me for AIDS. They tested me for everything, literally. I mean, they were telling me I could have malaria and I thought, well, I think after a year and a half I'd probably be dead if I had malaria, but you know, I'm not a doctor. Um so I sent my had my blood sent to IGENIX yeah, yeah.
2: um
0: testing laboratory in the US and this came back with a highly positive um result kind of by their standards and C D C. Um so yeah, I mean that it was a six weeks for the test results to come back. Felt like the longest six weeks of my life. Um and it was kind of this I was in this position where I didn't really want to be told I had it, but at the same time I just thought, gosh, to have an answer as to why I'm so sick will just be
2: It's a start, right?
0: It's a start place to
2: stand, yeah.
0: Yeah. Because you know after a while, these doctors are telling you you're crazy and, well, you start to then doubt yourself because if nobody in the medical field can figure it out and they're the people who you would go to and expect to figure it out, you know, your friends start to to question what's going on. You, you know, your family aren't 100% sure what's going on. I start to question myself. You know, people have said to me, you know, maybe you just need to get, get out more or maybe you're just not thinking positively or, or are, you, are you depressed? And, I kind of thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to get depressed at this point because I'm kind of being told that there's nothing wrong with me and I can't live my life. So, um,
2: and that's, yeah, and uh, that's amazing because you, you're somebody who's quite independent. Most people don't have quite the independent fight that you do. And even with all that independence and all that self determination, doubts are starting to creep into your mind even
0: absolutely yeah and that's that's scary because i think wow like somebody else in a position that maybe hasn't got some education or some common sense to fight for themselves or even just that belief and it, you know it's not to say a person you know it's stupid or lacks intelligence but to have that kind of i don't know drive
1: it's is drive. hard
0: yeah and not everybody not everybody has that um so i think wow like had i had i just accepted what the doctors had to say you know right now i would be in a wheelchair um and that's insane uh and when i got the test results i thought okay it's horrendous i've got lyme disease but we've got the results so clearly i can get some help now well there's there's the naivety of of me straight away assuming that the uk doctors would help me um sent these tests to you know various infectious infectious disease consultants at very well-known world-renowned hospitals in London um to be told that they will not accept them that I cannot have Lyme disease because their test came back negative and pretty much case closed um so that's when it really hit home and I thought gosh like this is where I have to step up that drive and step up, step up that fight because nobody can do this, but my, but me, you know, I, yeah, I can have the support of my friends and family to help it happen. But like, I literally have to believe in myself that this is what's wrong with me, you know, and I kind of have the proof anyway on, on the lab test, but, and and go for it. But, um,
2: now this, this is a fairly common story in hmm. the U S as well. And however, in the u s there's quite a bit of support groups around where people can tap into and and informal networks where they say, "Okay, you go see this doctor for this, and then maybe you can try try this protocol over there." Was there anything there like that for you, or were you just completely on your own
0: so I felt very alone at first, but then I came across um Lyme disease u k so this is a kind of um patient network, which has actually become now one of the largest patient networks in the UK. Um, and it was set up in 2013. But
2: hang on one second. I thought okay. there was no Lyme disease in the UK.
0: Well, yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> does everybody go to the Caribbean, go running and get bit and come back?
0: <laughs> but um, the difference with this network is it was set up by two people who were also suffering from Lyme disease. So um, they clearly obviously saw a space, you know, not only to sort of educate people, but just to have some sort of supportive portal. Um, and so it was back in 2013 that Natasha Metcalf and Louise Dean uh, co-founded this this network. And actually, when I came across it on Facebook initially, um, I think there was kind of under maybe 200 members of this sort of online support network, as such. And now it's grown to, like, over 5,000 members. Wow. You know, and that's just people who even know to search for the group. It's a closed group. You have to, like obviously click to, to, to go on it. Um, but they have a website as well. Um, but, but even just that, you know, is, is sheer proof that that there are people suffering and that's just people who maybe of a certain age group who are very into social media you know if i think of someone like my mum if she was suffering you know she's not even on social media so you know it's only going to be a small a small percentage as well um that that has literally become um almost like a lifeline for a lot of sufferers as well as their families or partners um, in the UK and you know, they don't, um, they never kind of say they're a doctor. You know, they're not, um, they're people who are suffering and have experience. And so not only from the, from the founders, but also then from all the patients, we're able to share stories, experiences, give each other hope, share kind of our reviews on doctors we've seen, you know, here in Europe, in America. Um And it just becomes a sort of starting point because you feel like when you first get sick with this disease, there is nothing out there, really. Like you were asking me, is there anything out there? You know, apart from things like this, maybe more so now this year. But at that time, no, there was nothing. Um So it feels like you're literally walking in to a dark tunnel with earplugs in plus another blindfold. And, you know, you're just stuck, literally. And I can tell you from my experience that without that group, I don't even think I would be where I am today. Because obviously I know like medicine has got me to this point, but I don't think I would have even known where to start. Like, I don't think I realized the implications of the illness, the length of time it takes to get treated. I wouldn't have even considered going abroad. I mean, for someone to say, Oh, you're going to have to go to America maybe to get treatment. I mean, I just wouldn't have even thought that. Um, but it wasn't until I could then see other people's experiences um, and also, like, hope that I'm not the only one that's dealing with this and people are making progress. So it felt like, okay, even though I feel like my world's spiralling in a downwards kind of trajectory, like, there was hope that actually... There are people out there. Even if I have to raise money and pay for it, that can help me.
2: No. Um, so you had to come to the US for treatment.
0: So I came to the US. Um, I through, you know, I did a lot of research. I I read a lot of patient reviews, and I just felt that at the stage I was at, in terms of the length of time I'd been unwell, and the way that all of a sudden, sort of up to that. 15 months to two year mark, I was uh, declining quite rapidly to the point where, you know, I was, I wasn't seen, didn't seem to be absorbing nutrition. Um, I could be really couldn't really shower myself without help. Um, I wasn't getting out of bed. I would just sleep all the time. Um, I was picking up infection after infection. Um, I mean, I only really left the house to either go to A&E, like the emergency room or, or to a doctor's and I had to do something I had no choice so that's when we started fundraising and I knew that really America was my was my kind of um what do you call it like life-saving kind of moment like I I had I did I just felt like that was it like I had no choice and I remember saying it to my parents and I was like I know this sounds really crazy but I think I need to go to America um and obviously that's quite mad to say and for your parents to hear because th- that both them and myself you know assumed that if anything was really wrong with me in this country that I would have help we have a, a national health service which is free of charge um and the last thing you think is that you're going to have to travel halfway across the world and pay for it to get help um and I started a sort of campaign to raise money. But as I carried on deteriorating, I actually had to bring that forward. And within about a month and a half to two months after having my results saying I had Lyme disease, I was actually in America because I was kind of told if I leave any longer, I probably won't get there because I'd be fit to fly. Or, could you know, could have been worse. I could have died. I was just in a state, in an awful state. Um,
2: May I ask which (laughs) clinic you went to?
0: Yeah, so I went to um, a clinic called Gordon Medical Associates in California, in Sonoma County, and this particular clinic I chose for its sort of multifaceted approach in terms of not only do they just kind of focus on antibiotics, which a lot of clinics just do and I think is very strenuous on the body, Um And, you know, as well as doing a lot of good, it does a lot of harm. Um, So this particular clinic had a lot of alternative kind of therapies and nutritional medicine, um, herbal supplements, naturopaths, body work. So that I kind of felt like it was it was focusing and attacking what was going on, but from all angles. So, you know, if the medicine starts to kind of hit hard on the body, they can they can balance that out with the natural things like high dose vitamin c alpha lipoic acid colloidal silver um just yeah a variety of kind of herbal herbal supplements as well um
2: and how long were you there
0: so in december 2000 and oh was it 2013 2014 two, i think it was 2013 I I went and I had no idea if I would be staying for two weeks, four weeks. I had no idea. I booked a flight and thought, I can change it. I'll get there. I don't even know if my body, if they will think my body is strong enough to even start with antibiotics, I might have to kind of prepare my body for treatment. Um But it, it, they didn't think I could really wait and not start it. So I began and before I knew it, I was there for three and a half months. Wow. Um, and I made a considerable amount of progress.
2: Was there any time during that three and a half months where like the little, there seemed like a glimmer of hope at the end of this tunnel that you entered? Was there a little transformation in that point or did that happen afterwards?
0: Um, there was definitely, um, a glimmer of hope at that time. You know, I don't, it wasn't all easy either. You know, there was, there was days in that trip where I ended up in A&E because, Certain medication was too much for me. The more testing we did and sort of focused on my genetics, I would realize that, you know, certain medicines weren't great for me. They, my pathways wouldn't detox properly. And, and it almost was like there was that hope that they could help you. But at the same time, there was that realization that, you know, this is not going to be just this three months. Like, you know, their likelihood is this could take me three to five years. And that's just for me and my story for how long I had had it and my symptoms, you know, this was just so independent for every patient.
2: Right.
0: And so although there's that hope of, wow, people here understand exactly what I'm going through, um, are not only going to treat me on a sort of clinical, uh, level, just, just through the testing, but also in a, in a clinical situation, just on my, presentation of symptoms as well you know they believe me they understand it they can look at my blood under dark field microscopy you know there's no doubt about it that I have this disease um and finally I felt like I was kind of in a place where they knew that this was a disease not a decision whereas I felt in the UK I was almost being told I had made a decision to be ill you know and that's not the case um so yeah it was definitely a bit of both. It was a real realization of the complexity of the illness, the amount of infections that I had to deal with and viruses because you don't just get Lyme disease. Um,
2: So that, uh, my question question. also for you is based on your story, I want to test my own little diagnostic listening skills. Did you have Babesia as well? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, Babesia bartonella mycoplasma various viruses um and babesia for me actually has been one of the biggest co-infections that seems to be giving me the longest (laughs) the longest problem um it's one of the hardest that i'm still really fighting to to deal with you know through to drenching night sweats now that have been going on for four and a half years um just yeah it, it it's insane it's it's a, God, it's an infection that I can't believe can persist so much. <laughs> and, yeah, it's it's a beast. It's a real beast.
2: It is a little beastie, isn't it? Um, now, but, at this point, do you feel like you're going to beat this thing, or are you still going back and forth so in, in your mind?
0: I know. I 100% feel like I'm going to beat it. And it's not because I am 100% already, but, you know, I had to make that decision when I started treatment to kind of go in to the whole thing mind and body and it's not to say that you know if you don't believe it or if you're negative you're going to create symptoms in your body but I do 100% believe that positivity and your attitude towards recovery will only enhance the whole process and make it more possible um, and so there was a massive part of me that actually really changed like I really embraced like that side of California as well, like that kind of that positive attitude that that thinking. That you know the way you the way you think is going to have an effect on your body the whole like universe thing and and I actually have turned a little bit hippie Um,
2: (laughs) in in my thoughts
0: my dad laughs and says you came back from California and you've got flowers in your hair but you know what I love it it hasn't it's like changed me for the better sometimes you know um and it didn't stop there I made a certain amount of progress when I came back and then sort of I can't say relapse because I've never even recovered, but, you know, just a downward spiral again, went back to America and actually spent eight months there last year, um, which, again, was not expected. I was expected two, two weeks to a month, ended up being there eight months by myself. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. Um, and there was a time when I just thought, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Um, it's so mentally and physically draining, And, you know, not not even just not even just the fighting the illness, but, you know, you have to worry about financially, like having getting the money from somewhere. You have to believe that you'll just make it and find it and do it no no matter what it takes. And, you know, when somebody's ill, they shouldn't have to think about things like that. All their energy should be put into resting. But here I am, you know, traipsing across America to clinics on buses, which is not great in America. Like, it's a car place, let's face it. <laughs> um, it's not like the UK.
2: It's no, a- it's not.
0: It's
2: and- <laughs> That's why I'm laughing.
0: <laughs> and so, you know, there's a point, you know, 102 degrees, and I'm walking on a main road with these giant vehicles passing me. And I just think, what am I doing? Like, this is so mad. You know, and there was times when I felt really low, a mixture of the difficulty of the illness. I think the cognitive, um, sort of effects of some of the infections, especially babesia. Um, and it was, and it was worrying, you know, I cried. I am a positive person, but I can tell you I cried, cried many a day, many a night and many a week, you know, and had I not had my family and friends on the end of Skype to call, I don't think I would have coped. (laughs) Um, But since that trip, um, okay, it's taken me a whole year, actually, since I returned. I actually returned pretty much this day a year ago from that second trip. um, And I have made a remarkable progress in the last year. Um, I would say I almost made less progress in that eight months the second time than I did the first time. But I think as you unravel more and more in the body – My doctor kind of explains it like an onion, like if you think of the layers of an onion and as those layers have kind of grown and your body has kind of got encompassed in all these infections and layers and difficulties, you kind of have to go back through them to really get back to the core of what you were before. Um,
2: Right. And it was part of that process, learning about yourself and what you needed as well. So out there you're saying you did make a whole lot of progress, but did you did you learn what worked and didn't work? So that yes. you could continue that yourself?
0: Yeah, and and you mean more on like a medical medical uh level?
2: Well, on all levels even.
0: On all levels. Yeah, absolutely. Um I mean sort of on a medical level, you know, I realized basics that I couldn't at a time tolerate oral antibiotics because my my gut health had just got so bad. Um And I had to do a lot to help myself as well with diet. Uh, Not that I ever really ate unhealthily, but, you know, I really had to sort of cut out certain food groups and be very strict. Um, I had to kind of find this other part of me that I didn't think I had. Like, I didn't think I was necessarily a strong person, but, well, it's pretty true what they say, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, because when you have no choice, you become you know, mentally strong. Like, I was mixing up medication in my room, you know, injecting through line, my pick line in my room, like, bags of um, fluid and medication, nutrition. And I, I, that's surreal. Like, I couldn't even imagine just giving myself an injection if I had something like diabetes. Like, I just couldn't even comprehend that. I cried in this doctor's uh like this the room the iv room in this doctor's office and i was just like i don't think i can do it like and but i was like i have no choice so you soon get yourself together and realize that this is the decision between you live or you die um and you just do it so you know i learned that i could do it if i put my mind to it as well and i think i also had to learn to trust a doctor um, where for the past kind of a year and a half prior to going there the first time, um, I had become very cagey, uh, around doctors because, you know, the more honest I was, the more they just thought I was crazy. Um, you know, there was apparently no way I could have this illness and blah, 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 blah. But clearly there was something wrong. And, you know, I began to just doubt myself, um, feel very, anxious about sharing what was going on in my body and the fact is there was so much going on in my body that it was a little bit crazy like even now when I when I say the story to people and I tell them episodes of like emergency room visits that happened week after week after week with clearly physical symptoms which a doctor couldn't deny it still sounds I think like wow did that actually happen? Like I think I sometimes I've got like my own one woman drama going on, and I should be writing like a new, a new soap. Like I thought EastEnders in the UK was dramatic, but you know m- sometimes when you when you talk about your life, you think, "Whoa, like this is crazy! Like this is drama."
2: It um, is. So and since then you've you had, tr- sorry to interrupt, but since you've had all these experiences now, and mm. you're part of this uh, UK limed disease support group right you have a larger role in it now am i correct
0: yeah i'm starting yeah. to help out more i mean predominantly i'm i'm just still like a, a patient but i as well i i um we so all what try do you, really yeah supportive.
2: what do you tell people who are so what i let me back up and ask the question in a slightly different way i'll give a little preamble for it or a little context Here I describe. Well, first of all, even here in the U.S., right, and the the grass is always greener. We have patients in the U.S. who go to Germany for treatment because they feel like they can't get any help over here, and you know, so we're we're seems like Lyme patients hop around the the pond a little bit now, and then also it's it's really diagnosed over the backyard fence. Around mm-hmm. here, also, so it's it's patient to patient communication and within the community, people saying, "No, have you thought about Lyme disease? It sounds you know a lot like my uncle Bob." And yeah. then the other thing is, once you learn about Lyme disease, especially going through it, you it's it's Alice in Wonderland. You're through the looking glass. The world never looks the same. So, Nothing. do you over there see the all of a sudden see Lyme everywhere? And number one, and then. What what are you telling people who are just being diagnosed and or trying to get a diagnosis?
0: So yeah, absolutely. I see I see lime everywhere now. I speak to okay, for example, there's a window cleaner <laughs> in the houses near where I live. And oh, yeah. he talks about um his I can't remember now whether it's his daughter or his wife forgive me for not forgetting exactly the, the, who um suffering from sort of a chronic fatigue and the suggestion that it could be ms but then no diagnosis through because of like the testing not coming back and and what have you and I think wow like you she's probably got Lyme disease like and I continuously see people with either chronic fatigue syndrome you know multiple sclerosis fibromyalgia and Okay, a lot of those are also things that can be more clearly diagnosed with testing. But things like chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia are such umbrella terms for illnesses which, you know, a patient has got symptoms, but they just cannot have that clarity on what's causing it. Um, And now, like the misdiagnosis is just becoming so kind of what's the word, Um, just so common and I think it's just easier to fob a patient off by saying that they have chronic fatigue syndrome, um, ME and, and just leave it at that. But you know, that's fine for the doctor. They can tick a box, but then a patient is left completely in the dark, expecting to live their life with what seems like, you know, a part of the puzzle missing, a part of their energy and possibility just taken away from them. Um, and it's scary. So it's not until you start talking to people either both within a, the sort of support group, but also just in everyday life that you think, wow, like, have you ever been tested for Lyme disease? Like, you have pets, you go outside, you know, not that they even have to be that way inclined. You can get bitten by a tick in your back garden. It happened to my sister last year, embedded in her stomach, in her garden, having a sunbathe. So yeah, it's, it's ridiculously scary. And at the moment, Public Health England, are suggesting that there's around 3,000 patients every year that are, um, that could you know possibly have Lyme disease or or a kind of diagnosed or even just you know they believe it from another country. But the new, um, Cordwell Lyme disease charity is suspecting actually it could be as many as 45,000 cases per year. And I mean, that is just that couldn't be further from like 3,000. I mean, that's just ridiculous. Where it goes the from think that there where 5000 people every year yeah. suffering it, you know and some people never realizing they have Lyme disease yeah. you know it's it's pulling families apart it's shattering lives it's making it's driving people to suicide to remortgaging their homes to travelling abroad people live their life thinking they have chronic fatigue and are then having families and are passing it congenitally to their children i mean it, it's just insane it is um so then, you know, I also am now in the situation where I see people coming onto the group as a new, as a new, uh, a new member and I literally see in their words on the screen the desperation and the cluelessness of the whole thing. Like number one, like they're not even sure if they've got line, like they feel crazy for assuming because you know, they're being told that it's not a possibility. Um, also, just that minefield of, you know, almost like being plonked in the middle of a world map and you've got all these paths that you could go down and you just don't know where to start. Like, it, and it's and it's ridiculously scary. It almost makes you want to think, do I even, like, do I even have the strength to start the process? Because I can't, I can't scare someone into treatment but I also I can't be dishonest because at the same time I want to say to them do you know what this is going to probably be the hardest fight of your life but at the same time there is a possibility that you can be okay and live a life like far beyond Lyme disease and I believe that so much that I will say that to people and you know I can I can say that from my own experience because yes I'm not in remission but I have made a significant amount of progress to the point where I now leave, can leave the house nearly every day. Whereas at one point I didn't leave the house once in three months. So, you know, as much as the doctor might tell me that this disease doesn't exist and that medicine can't help me. Well, I am the proof of the pudding. (laughs) Like it's happening.
2: You are. You are. And and so
0: I will use that to give people hope because there's like a really great quote and I really like it. And I think it's, um, if you keep hope alive, hope will keep you alive. And I really think that is so kind of poignant to like kind of my experience, but also to kind of just say to other people, like believe in yourself and believe you can do it and you will. Like yes, So yeah,
2: brilliant. brilliant. And yeah. one, one quick question. Is that your mum in the background?
0: Sorry, it's my dad. He's just coming huh? in uh, and making a good old English cup of tea. It's the kettle. Hi dad. You <laughs> probably can't hear you. I'll pass on the regards.
2: <laughs> Thank you. And, and you've been very, very generous with your time, Chantelle. I just want to give you a chance again to give the Facebook name and address of the lime UK support group, so people in the UK and and Ireland. You you take the Irish too, don't you?
0: Absolutely, we'll even, we even accept the US. Like, it's not a closed book. Like, you know what? It's all about support, having a support network, Look. and we have people from abroad. You know, in there in, this, in the same way that we also go abroad and, and and want to be a part of. You know, the US forums and support groups that they are. Because at the end of the day, the only way we'll all get through this is together, like standing together and raising awareness and and fighting it. So. Absolutely. Like it's it's an open, uh open group for many and nobody would be turned away. Like it's a place of support. It's a place, place of safety. It's a place of information. And, you know, we're not doctors, but we're all fighting, you know, essentially, you know, for the same thing, like remission and support for everybody. So um, it's www.limediseaseuk.com and that's the main sort of online website but you can also find Lyme Disease UK through Facebook and you have to search either Lyme Disease UK and alternatively there's a Lyme Disease UK discussion group um, which you can request to be added to and that's slightly more um, you'll definitely be accepted but it's just not an open group so that if you want to write things on there you know and your next-door neighbor's not going to read them because sometimes, you know, you have things going on in your body you don't necessarily want to discuss um, with your neighbor. Um Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great place of support, information. You know, the Lyme Disease UK founders, they set up protests, they attend conferences, they run media campaigns. And at the end of the day, they know exactly how it feels because they are patients themselves. So it's something I would literally... I wouldn't I would even when I'm better, I I hope to to sort of stay involved in it in some way, you know, whether that is to give people hope um, or direct them into the avenues available to them for help. But, you know, without this group, I would be lost like it's been an absolute lifeline to me um, and I couldn't. I couldn't re- rate it high enough, really, on on the support kind of network. So, yeah, Lyme Disease UK gets a giant thumbs up from me.
2: <laughs> All right, thank you so much for your time, and it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and learning about Lyme disease in the UK.
0: Thank you, thank you so much for having me, and I've li- I've uh, really enjoyed speaking to you too. Thank you.
1: <laughs> this was such a great interview. You know. I'm constantly in admiration of our interviewees and the things that they can do and that they have accomplished while they're uh while they're sick with Lyme disease and and Chantel really is no different. I mean she traveled over three thousand miles to get the to get the help that she needed, to get the treatment she needed.
2: It's really good. Crazy story, isn't it? She calls it, it her, really her one-woman Lyme drama, and man, it, <laughs> it, she could make a movie out of it. Hopefully, she'll write a book, and then we can have her back on, and she can talk about her book. It's funny. <laughs> I love interviewing authors. And it also reminds me that Lyme is an international problem, and we have had international guests over the years And one particularly comes to mind, Marty Tuin. She's a lovely young woman from Stockholm, Sweden, and her struggle with getting diagnosis. And in some of these European countries where Lyme kind of really is the, on the back burner in terms of diagnosis, it can really be a struggle. And especially if people have traveled to the States and picked up the Lyme here and then gone back, It, it can be really, really a problem there. So just, uh, Hand and uh, voice of encouragement to those of you who are international. Keep the faith. Keep plugged in with people on Facebook. There's help out there. You can get better just like Chantal is getting better now. And also I want to mention that in the next three interviews we'll also be interviewing a couple of docs from the UK and also a lovely pair of women from ireland so we're going to include ireland in our uk and ireland segment these four podcasts episodes of lime ninja radio that go together and let's move right along yes exactly (laughs) Uh, i want to give a shout out to those you participating in the keto challenge thank you for doing that uh, some of the proceeds, we make a little bit of money when you participate in that. And we think that these exogenous ketones can really be helpful. I passed out a few at the, my Lyme disease support group here in New Hartford, New York. And it um, will be interesting to hear what those folks say about their their dose of ketones. I know I'm using mine right now. It's very early in the morning here <laughs> on the East Coast and Aurora is getting into the witching hour midnight over there. So, we're both using the yes, ketones to mean- keep our brains functioning.
1: Yes, yes, we are. Um <laughs> we also Dennis's new book, Lime Madness.
2: Whoop, your voice cut uh, so, out. So it's Lori Dennis.
1: Lori Dennis. Yep. Yeah. So we are also giving away Lori Dennis' new book, Lime Madness. Sure, it's finally out, and we're very excited about that. So head on over to LimeNinjaRadio.com and click on this podcast, number 121, and you will see where to enter to win. And also, the winner of last week's drawing for Susan Pogorzelski's novel, The Last Letter, is Vicky. So watch out for an email for us, Vicky. Vicky, Congratulations.
2: Yes, I've already sent it out, so it should be in your inbox. And lastly, as you longtime Lime Ninjas know, this podcast would not be complete unless we left you with the Lime Ninja fact of the day.
1: Did you know ninjas can watch 60 minutes in half an hour? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. for considering any new treatment.